Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Olivia Claire, the mastermind integrator and growth specialist behind Integrator Agency. With over half a decade of expertise in online business management and marketing, Olivia has been the driving force behind the success of numerous six and seven figure online ventures. Integrator Agency is Olivia's brainchild dedicated to empowering online business magnets to fully embrace their visionary roles. From funnel concept to Facebook ads, Olivia and her team ensure that businesses not only grow, but thrive. Olivia's mission is clear to bridge the gap between visionaries and integrators, fostering greater income, impact, and influence. I've asked Olivia to join us here today to talk about strategies to make our online businesses soar. So Olivia, thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Uh, I'm doing? so be here. I'm great. I'm really excited to chat with you. I'm I'm going to listen back to the recording and take that intro and make that my LinkedIn bio because that makes me sound so fantastic. So thank you for such a warm welcome. I always love, I've had you on my podcast in the past and I just love having a chat with you and having a chat about business in general. So I'm so happy to be here. Thank yeah, you. An honor and a pleasure. So before we get into talking about growing online businesses, How'd you get into marketing and sales and entrepreneurship? Are you family-run businesses? Is this like a generational thing? Are you taking the torch that's been passed to you or what? Great question. I fell into business. Both my parents did have their own businesses. So my mom, she actually makes lampshades. So she's self-employed and has a business doing something very artistic. And she's done that ever since I was born. And my dad floated between doing corporate work and also working for himself as well. He has one of those jobs where it's 20 years down the track and I still couldn't explain to you what he does, but (laughs) it's in the realm of the city. So I grew up. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up with that and my parents also did a lot of real estate investment and property management and things like that. So I really grew up around that and seeing entrepreneurship in front of me, but not really recognizing it as something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a writer. And so I studied really hard at school, did really well. And then I started university doing media and communications and English and did tutoring as a job and there was an internal role going at the company to be an inquiries assistant so essentially someone who's managing the emails managing clients taking phone calls all the things like that we were using a crm system customer relationship management software using zapier some automations in the processes as well and i was so excited i was 18 and i had a work phone so i I was on top of the world i thought i was hot shit yeah honestly and uh, it's funny I never really saw myself being in business or being a businesswoman I think because I didn't really know what it meant but throughout school and throughout my life I was always hyper organized I had from 15 years old I used my school planner and I also had a personal planner I don't know what a 15 year old has on her schedule that means she needs a full planner for it but mine was packed and so when I started work in at this tutoring company. I loved it. I love the organization of it. I love talking to clients. I love selling. I loved learning it. I loved growing. And so very quickly, I worked my way up to being the inquiries manager. And then within a year, I was the executive manager of the company, managing over 200 subcontractors and about 150 active clients. So It was so much fun. And then COVID hit and it got a bit more quiet, but I was still in work, which was good. 
but I just decided that I wanted to try my own thing, start. So I started like 10 different businesses as we do in that phase, trying to figure out what it is that we want. I did e-com, I did coaching, I did, it felt like everything. And then last year I really settled on doing marketing and I call it integrator support, but it's essentially like online business management with a specific lens of supporting visionaries, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, those sorts of people to take their vision and make it into a reality. So doing all the strategy behind it. And it's just really my zone of genius. So I'm, I love it. And then as soon as I made that shift and really got clear on what it was that I wanted to do and who I wanted to help, we grew pretty quickly. And now we've got I think we're a team of four with several clients, six and seven figure businesses. So it's been an exciting ride that I've found myself on, but that's the A to Z of it. That's fantastic. On that journey, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? It sounds like a lot, especially at such a young age, to have so many direct reports Mm -hmm. and to have so many clients that you're helping take care of and appease and juggle. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? That's a great question. I think the biggest challenge that I faced in order to get here and something that I had to overcome was I had a massive fear of failure, big time. I was growing up naturally did really well at school without trying. I don't like to say it like that, but there was, I had a lot of confidence and there were a lot of things in life. If I wanted to do, I would do it. So I was traveling at a young age. I was doing really well in school, but also avoiding anything that I might fail at. So any sports didn't do that. I, the first time I ever failed something was my driver's test. When I was 17, I had a panic attack. I was hyperventilating in the, like the department store. When the lady told me, I completely lashed out at my parents. I was scream crying. I didn't go to school for the rest of the week. So that tiny, it's obviously an overreaction, but I had such limited access to failure and such a poor relationship with failure that I avoided it at any cost. And when it eventually happened to me, it completely crumbled everything that I knew. If you knew in business or (laughs) for a long time, you would know how crucial failure is and how it is a part of our everyday life. (laughs) Things Things don't work more than they do work, right? So in order to succeed in business, you have to fail. And so when I was in that phase, trying different businesses and seeing them fail before my eyes, it broke me, especially the first few times it would take me three to four weeks to recover, like dust myself off and get up the courage to try again. But nowadays, like I said, you fail all the time. And now it takes me 15 minutes to process my emotions. I'm like, all right, that didn't work. Let's try again. Yeah, exactly. So failure was, is such a, was such a huge thing for me and is such an important factor to start looking at and to start overcome if you're looking at having your own business and continuing to succeed and grow in your business. I really like that. I think that a really important item that you highlighted was knowing who and what you do for them. And then having not just product market fit, but product market founder fit, I think is a really important one. Because there's things that you can do that people will pay for that you just have no interest in doing. And that's just it's like the book report you can't get done at school because you just don't want to read the damn book. <laughs> So I think that's a really important, the who, and what you're talking through is actually the scientific method. So I've talked about this a lot recently, but Karl Popper was one of the earliest science educators. And he said, there really is no scientific method. There's no method by which we achieve breakthroughs. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. if we would have more breakthroughs more often of greater significance, 
But what we do have is we have a way to stop fooling ourselves and to fumble our way through the dark and figure out how the world really works. And he said, there's a formula for this. So <clears throat> the formula is P1 plus TS plus EE equals P2. And what does that mean? That means problem one plus temporary solution or theorized solution plus eliminate errors equals problem two. <clears throat> so problem one is, I want to have a business. I don't know what I want to do. Temporary solution. I'm going to do this. And then you eliminate the errors. Oh, they're buying it, but I don't like the work or no one's buying it. Or I don't think I can scale this or whatever that is. And then you may not achieve problem two. You may still have the first problem. So it doesn't guarantee that you have a breakthrough, but now you've learned more. How do we eliminate the errors? Experimentation, observation, data collection, debate, discussion with others in the field, right? And trying to just make sure that we're not misjudging ourselves. Like I poked myself in the eye before just with my finger. And obviously sometimes we're not as, we're not thinking clearly. I wasn't drunk. I wasn't anything. I just poked myself in the eye like, oh, that was silly. So we, that's where we collect data and do what we can to try to make sure that we're eliminating all the errors as best as we can. And that's why censorship is a really bad thing. That's why we need to hear dissenting voices. You talked about failure. Like a lot of people, when they have a dream or vision, they want to protect it. They don't want to share it with anyone. Either they're worried someone's going to steal it or they're worried that they're going to poke holes in it and be negative about their dream. But what you really want is you need those people because reality is going to come at you with a hatchet. And so if your friend makes you cry because they just ask a question you don't like, yeah. that points out a flaw in your plan, that's much safer. We have a saying in martial arts, better to cry and bleed in training, not on the battlefield. So that's my two cent seminar on that. So I think what you said there is really powerful and very useful for sure. I love that. Mm. And I just want to talk on that a little bit more like that. And that's a fear. Recognizing that you don't want to talk to your friends and family about what it is that you're doing is a fear within yourself that's holding you back. And exactly what you said, it's about having thicker skin, truly. You're not going to make yeah. it in business if you don't have thick skin and you can't take criticism and feedback constructively. It's just not going to happen. And I think the other thing that's important to recognize is that in parts of our life that we feel really vulnerable about, that's where it's going to hurt more. So you might be really good at taking criticism. I was really great at taking criticism at school. Take my essay, tear it apart, happy days. I'm going to fix it. This is going to make me better. But if I was going to go to the gym and someone, a personal trainer is pointing out, this might be different. But for me personally, sure. I'm like, oh my God, I feel really insecure. Don't point out what I'm doing wrong. I'm trying my best. So noticing what's the source spot and poke at it a little bit and see if you can, I don't know, toughen the skin a little bit. Yeah. that's yeah. A good, The obstacle is the way. There's a book written called that. The obstacle is the way. Basically that thing that you're avoiding, that the frog that you won't eat, that's what you need to lean into. The reality is that we don't want a world of pacifier sucking ninnies. There's no virtue. I've heard this said, Jordan Peterson said this, and I really like it. He said that there's no virtue in being weak. There's no virtue in being weak because the not being a threat doesn't mean it. Like you're weak. You, you're just not a threat, but being powerful and dangerous and then knowing how to control yourself and how to use it appropriately, that is the virtue. So first you must become dangerous and then you need to learn to wield it. And that's where the virtue is and having power and using it appropriately. And that's the same thing. Like if you just live in a bubble of fantasies, was it everyone's got a game plan till they get punched in the nose? I think Mike Tyson said that. Like everyone, everyone comes into a fight with a game plan till they get punched in the nose. And that's just really it. And so I think that's really powerful. Now, amongst all the clients that you've been helping and working with, and obviously you've, you've had some successes, 
What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see them making? Such a good question. For me, everything comes back to simplicity. So what I see a lot of visionaries do is overcomplicate their product, overcomplicate their services, overcomplicate the funnel that this all needs to happen in, particularly if they're looking in the space at other entrepreneurs, other creators who have million dollar funnels set up, have resources and staff to assist them with a business that is inherently more complex. When you're first starting out, you don't need complexity, you need clients, right? So I see a lot of people, especially when they're starting out, going on TikTok and Instagram and posting the reels and doing all these things and trying to get people to come to them when really it's a phone call, it's a message to someone, it's reaching out and networking, it's seeing people in real life. That is so much more important than all the other stuff. Don't build an email list, build your network first. There's just a specific order that I think things need to go in. And I think if we take away what we think we need in order to have a successful business, we can actually create a business that really suits us and is fulfilling and fulfills our income needs and anything that we could want. So for example, I have a multi six-figure business and I my we only recently just set up a business Instagram for it because I get clients through word of mouth and my focus is not on how many followers I have it's how much money is coming in and also where my profits are overcomplicating what you think you need is so important and the other side of that coin is being able to take time and space to get really clear on what it is that you want and what you want your business to look like, who you want to work with, how you want the money coming in. Do you actually want a team or do you want higher ticket clients? Do you want to sell more? Do you want to sell for more money? There's so many ways that we think business should be done, but a lot of people don't take the time to think about what works for them and to con- consistently come back and check in with that vision. So I I have a solo date that I do with myself once a week where I'm at a cafe. I have brain space. That's just where I personally enjoy a lot of deeper thinking. And because what there's like starting business, that's the hard part. And then once business gets going, you get caught up in all of it. You think I've got this to do, I've got that to do, I've got that to do that it, we sometimes get lost. And then six months down the track, we think, hang on, I had this vision of where I wanted to be. And I'm not there because I've gotten lost. So it's really important to take time to do some deep thinking and check in with your vision, see if you're in alignment, see if there's any ways that you can make things easier for yourself, that you can get more work done in less time. I'm a big believer in the 80-20 principle or the Pareto method. 80% of your profits come from 20% of your clients or 80% of work gets done in 20% of the time. So really just consistently thinking, how can I make this easier? How can I make my life simpler? How can I have a business that's more lean, less fat? And as soon as you have time and space to think creatively about that, you can start to have creativity with the solutions that come in. Mm. And that's where like the entrepreneurial mind really starts to, that's where you get to see scaling. That's where you get to see innovation, all the exciting parts of entrepreneurship that can get lost when we have a business that's running. I love that. I love that. I do that too. I pulled it up, but so I go through it, but I do that too twice a week, actually. So I have a Saturday at 9 a.m. and then Mondays at 9 a.m. I follow up and recheck it. And that's to make sure it gets done. And that's where I sit down and I journal. I have a spreadsheet in Google that I go over my thoughts about my career, my finances, my family, my friends, my business relationships, my health, my dreams and goals. 
problems I might be facing, charitable endeavors, if I'm happy or not, I'm feeling spiritual learning. And then I write down what to quit doing, what I need to do this week, what I need to do for my business specifically, my finances, what do I need to do personally? What do I need to learn more about? What do I need to get or buy? And who do I need to contact this week? And I just brainstorm journal, all that stuff. And then out of it, I pull like the two do's and two delegates if I got them. And some days it just takes 10 minutes. Nothing's changed too much, but it, it really certainly beats waiting until New Year's, you know, like setting a New Year's resolution, letting 10, 11 months go by and be like, I never really did anything about X. I'm going to do it this New Year's. Like instead of just setting every week and seeing that you can make progress and just seeing things pop up at time, like the two quit doing, I had things pop up in there week after week. And just by Mm -hmm. having, is there anything I need to quit doing? Oh, I did it again this week. Ah, like that just little reminder is so powerful. I really like your focus on simplicity as well. I think that there's a lot of businesses that they don't think as strategically as they could. I'd like to talk about OPR, OPM, and OPC, because I think these are really three really powerful things. And there's word on the grapevine that we're heading into a not so comfortable economy. And these are going to be really easy wins for a lot of businesses. And OPR is other people's resources. OPM Mm -hmm. is other people's money. And OPC is other people's customers. So as an example, personal example right now, before I told you that I didn't really get much sleep last night because my daughter kept kicking me in the face, but I made it a perfect opportunity because one of my clients wants to refer his customers to one of my programs after he's done, either they haven't bought within a certain time frame or after they've bought everything that he has. So other people's customers, I'm capitalizing on his customers and he's going, we're going to do a profit sharing thing. And that's another doorway into my business. Now, OPR, part of why he's a client is because he's got 40 locations in 12 countries around the world, and he's expanding into New York. And it's his first English-speaking office, his first English-speaking location. And he wants to set up a phone team to do appointment setting and sales. Now, he has a closer, but he's going to need to train other closers. And so we've made a deal where I'm going to get a retainer to help just be boots on ground and connect him with a phone center here and to be the like pop-up quiz. Hey, I'm here. What's going on? And make sure people are training and that sort of thing and just help him with that. And so one of the things that we've done is I've been looking, instead of building a phone team from scratch, I'm dealing with OPR, other people's resources. So I've already interviewed five centers, anywhere from 30 staff to 350 staff, and they already have clients. Why was that one today? I saw they have a training room with hundred, about 100 desks. Maybe that's too many. Maybe it's more like 60 desks set up. Like it's a training room. They got 60 desks. They got a back room with all the cubicles and stuff. We're going to have to pay nothing out of pocket. We get to walk in. We pay the rate plus the performance commission. And we are leveraging. Whereas if I had to start from scratch, now I got to get an office space. I got to get chairs. I got to get computers. I have to get HR compliant. I got to safety standards. I got to have security in the building. We got to worry about all this other stuff. So when you talk about simplicity, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, she's on to OPR, OPC and OPM. Yeah, I love that. And outsourcing, like exactly what you said. It's so important getting clear on who we want to, getting clear, like I said, again, on who we want to serve, how we want to serve them means that we also free up space. If you hate marketing, it's really important to do email marketing for your business. Outsource it. Don't waste your time training people. Don't waste your time trying to learn it. Stay in your zone of genius. Continue to niche down and specialize and become an expert in your space. And 
leave the rest for everyone else. That's all you got to focus on. Just do you and do exactly what it is that you want to do because you can make money doing what you want to do and leave the rest to other people who are experts in those fields. I love that. Yeah. Build an ecosystem. The founder of CrossFit, Greg Glassman said he just wants 1% of a really big pie. He doesn't want to be like all these people that have a hundred percent of nothing. He's trying to figure out not how to grow because that was this whole thing. CrossFit was once the fastest growing brand, fitness brand in the history of the planet. And he said every day he gets offers that are trying to increase the percentage of the prof of the pie in the ecosystem that CrossFit is getting. These supplements, these, this gear, these, this equipment. But I just want to focus on the 1% that we do exceptionally well and work on making the pie bigger versus try to squeeze out any of that other 99% to eat their profits. And I think that's almost what you're talking about. And that's a really important thing. Now, what do you feel are some of the habits that help you and your most successful clients? What are the most common denominators that you would say that you say you see? Fantastic question. I think taking that time and space, that's something I do. You just said that's something that you do. And it's something I encourage all my clients to do is at least once a week, check in with their vision and make sure that they're tracking exactly the way that they want to. I The other thing that I, I think is really important is having belief. So being able to work on your beliefs and believing that you can have a business that works in the way that you want. You can have a life that is fulfilling you personally, fulfilling you income wise, Mm. socially. So if you're still stuck in a phase where you think that, oh, well, in order to scale my business, I need to do X, Y, Z, or in order to make more money this way, I have to do it this way. If you're still stuck in that mindset, we can all get stuck at that no matter what level our business is at. Rethink it, get creative, think, how can I, so me, for example, I I love working closely with people. I love working closely with my clients. And for a while I thought, wow, in order to scale from six figures to seven figures, I need more. And it's bullshit. I need more money. I need higher ticket clients. I don't necessarily need more people. So being able to get real with myself and say, am I making this harder than I need than it needs to be? Mm-hmm. Can it can I actually mm-hmm. have a business that makes the money that I want in a way that I really enjoy. And if I think I can't, why do I think like that? And how can I solve that problem? That's what we do as business owners. That's what we do as entrepreneurs. We solve problems and the more we get at solving problems, the more money we make. So start by solving your own problems. I love that. That's really good. Where do you think the future of things are going? There's AI, there's software, there's everyone just had had the great resignation, the great career change. We've just seen businesses around the world, small business, medium-sized businesses just decimated. The people might be, people, some people are saying we seem to be going more towards kings and peasants than we were having a growing middle class and financial equality, despite the prevalence of cultural equality, equality, I'm not sure what to call it. So many new social media platforms. Where do you see things being in five, 10 years? That's a great Another great question. You're full of great questions today. Oh, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I see the great resignation and I've heard it uh, amongst so many different people in my personal circle, in my professional circle. I think COVID really gave everyone a chance to take a step back and have a look at their lives and see if they were living it the way that they want to. What I am curious to see if it will happen, what I'm predicting is that a lot of people will start their own businesses and realize that 
not having a boss, maybe not going into the office, not seeing people socially, not doing work in a certain way actually doesn't fulfill them. So I think we've really put entrepreneurship and having your own business on this pedestal when you can get equal fulfillment from working nine to five, mm-hmm. equal fulfillment working, not a nine to five, but working in person rather than remotely. Mm-hmm. We've looked at Remote entrepreneurship is the gold standard. And if you're doing that and having location freedom, that's the lifestyle. That's what you want. Mm. But it doesn't work for a lot of people and it's not fulfilling for a lot of people. For me personally, I've had to work so much on, I'm such a social person that having a remote business has been so hard for me. I need to go to a daily Pilates class or have more, have roommates and things like that because I get lonely in the type of work that I do. So being able to say to yourself, wow, I actually work so much better when I have um, a boss who's supporting me in what I'm doing, when I have somewhere to be every day, working the nine to five is not all that bad or it actually works really well for me. And the structure is really important for me. Being able to recognize what you want and not what society is telling you is best, not where you think things are going. But again, just coming back to what it is that you actually want, what works for you, regardless of what everyone else thinks. The second thing that I think we'll start to see more is workplaces continuing to be more flexible, having a sort of blended structure where people can work from home when they want to or work in the office or being less strict about clocking on and clocking off and having, especially in the corporate world, having a bit more flexibility because teams are blended. And again, COVID gave people and employers a chance to see that if employees are working in a way that feels good to them, the work is better. It's not about more hours, it's about results. And so Mm -hmm. being able to facilitate an environment where employees can get more results means that the landscape of what that actually looks like operationally, I think will change. I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's Kitch 22. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think that there's, it's important that a lot of people are focusing on entrepreneurship because small and medium-sized businesses, we are the middle-class. I said it before, prior to, prior to the democratic Republic, the free market capitalism, which has become crony capitalism, but that's a different topic. Before that, it was really kings and peasants. You were either rich and you owned all the land. Basically, how we get civilization was born is we figured out agriculture. So we stopped being hunter-gatherer tribes and we started having colonies that we set up like a stationary society around a food source. But people would come and try to pillage that and rape the women and pillage the houses and take all the food in that. So then we needed security and military around. And so what ended up happening was the military and the owner of all the land was essentially king and everybody worked for them. That's why in Japan, if you look at the early days, I might really go on a tangent here, warning. And if you look at Japan, they used to have all these little feudal clans. And that's basically what it was. And when I lived in Japan, I was really shocked. You have to pay something called key money. So if you want to rent an apartment in Japan... Like most countries, you have to pay like first and last and a security deposit, but then you have to pay what's called key money, money that you pay as a gift to get the key, meaning you have to gift the landlord one, two, three months of rent just as a gift. And this is from back when you would gift the samurai that risked their lives to keep your family safe, to allow you into their community, because now they're going to look after you all as well. So you would pay a gift to be under their protection and to be leave one community and come join another. And people that own the land, they like getting those gifts. And they, even though they're not risking their lives, they still like getting the money. And so in Japan, 
they walled themselves off from the world for a couple hundred years. They kept that tradition, but that's essentially you were king because you owned all the land that produced the food and everybody worked for you or they were a small merchant that served the workers that produced the food that you helped protect. And that's what made you king and emperor. And we got around that where then when free markets, it was about excellence. So it's all about a battle between equality and freedom. In an equal society, no one is free. In a free society, no one is equal. And so this is almost a pursuit of excellence. Markets are unknown and unknowable. Meaning if I asked you how many people are in the market to buy a car today, you could look at indicators, search trends, social media buzz, but ultimately you don't really know and it fluctuates on a daily hourly basis. So it's unknown and unknowable, but everyone can perceive excellence. So if I know that I'm creating a vehicle for families or I'm creating a vehicle for long distance travel, and I focus on solving that problem to the problem to the most excellent degree, that is recognized by everyone. Now you have generational advantages that happen, monopolies have come out of place. These are perversions of that kind of system. And then there's a yin yang thing that happens to go, but we are the middle class. And so I agree with what you're saying. It's almost, there's nothing wrong with having a job at a company, but it, you need to support the small and medium sized businesses. If you're making less than hundred million a year, you're still a medium sized business. Right. So you can get, you can have a million dollar salary helping a real estate company or something and still be quote a middle-sized company, middle-class. But I also wanted to speak to what you said about living a life true to yourself, not what others expected of me. When you said that, it reminded me of this list that I keep. It's a picture of a newspaper clipping that my dad took out of our local newspaper years ago. And it's called top regrets of the dying after years of palliative care. Nurse Bronnie Ware put together this shortened list. So there's five bullets. That's all this is. Top regrets of the dying, five bullets. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And I wish that I had let myself be happier. And we're all going to die eventually someday. So in 5,000 years, a lot of this isn't going to matter. And so I just think what you've talked about is just so powerful. Keep it simple, really focus on who you're helping, what you're helping them with, and tie into your deeper why. Keep it simple, specialize inch wide, mile deep. And don't worry about what society wants per se. All that really matters are the people, like you said this before, I don't care about my social media following. I don't care about all this stuff. I care about who's paying me money. Are they happy with me? Am I making the money I want? And I think that's just a really... You know, for being 20, you said 22 at the time of this recording, like, I think I was still trying to figure out how to put my pants on properly when I was 22. <laughs> like, you just got, I guess there really is a big difference in boys and girls, folks. So where, what do you think holds a lot of people back? Oh, fear. So we spoke about fear. Fear of failure is a big one. And I think believing that it's not possible. Also not willing to do what it takes to get there. So seeing the end result and thinking that, oh, this person did it in this time frame, So that means that it'll be the same for me and it's different for everyone. So you have to believe that it's possible for you. You have to get over the fact that it's not going to work out the first time or the second time or the 17th time. Be willing to let a little bit of magic happen because you usually it works in a way that you don't expect. Being able to recognize and have gratitude when you have quote unquote made it as well, because as humans, we're always going to be looking to the next thing. We're always going to want to progress. And that is so important, but make sure to check in with yourself and think, oh my God, I'm living exactly where I wanted to be a year ago. This is crazy. It may not have happened in the way that I expected it to, but I got here. So I think 
the other thing that's really important is not giving up. So accepting that it may look a little different than you think it will. It may take longer than you expect, but as long as you don't give up and decide to go back to how you used to live, you're going to continue to grow and be better and just experience more success, whatever that means and looks like for you. Yeah. And can we dive into that? What are some of the specifics? What are the specifics, their principles or strategies that, you know, are required for to make an online business succeed? And we talked about bridging the gap between visionaries and integrators. We've gone through a lot of things like sidebar habits and things like this, but just to really hit the nail on the head, what yeah. do you feel are, yeah, the key strategies? So are you talking about finding success monetarily like zero to six figures or scaling from six to seven? I think having a successful operation that's serving the community throws off a surplus of cash and runs like a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to think, where do we start? So start with your product, forget marketing for a second, focus on sales first because sales can feed your marketing and then it'll feed your sales and that will continue. If you don't, if you're not currently making, this is, it sounds too simple to actually work, but if you're not making money in your business, focus on that first. And it can be as simple as possible. So if you want to get clients first, I don't care if you have to door knock. I don't care if you need to make a phone call, 500 phone calls a day, but get really clear. And I think take it back to basics. I'm Like I said, I'm all about simplicity. If you have been posting on Instagram, for example, every day for the past month and you've gotten no clients or no calls from that, let's maybe rethink that. Let's let it go. Let's go attend some events. Let's network. Let's talk to people. Let's put ourselves out there. Again, if you have a product that you want to sell, candles for example I was talking with a lady the other day about she's got a candle company and she wanted marketing strategy and how I want the website to look pretty and I want my Instagram and I think all of that is important but the chance of you actually launching a business like that online and having it magically start having sales without Facebook ads or without a series mm-hmm. budget the strategy, it's a pretty low success rate. It's going to take a lot of time. So if you want to make money, go and attend a market and sell your candles there. Go and tell your friends about it. Have a little event where people come over and you sell the candles or try and get it into stores. I think with online business, people forget that real life exists too. Just because you're having a Zoom with someone or you have a virtual business doesn't mean you can't find clients in person. So I encourage people to think about it like that and start with their community and start with their network because you're not going, yeah, focus on sales first, whatever that looks like and let it be whatever it looks like. Let your pride go, let your ego go. If you want to make money, you need to focus on that first. Yeah, and sales is typically tracking numbers and money. And what that means is like outbound calling, as you said, networking, attending events, re-engaging old clients. That's a fantastic way. And another way to just focus on sales is partnerships, which is either getting referrals from people or finding someone, like I mentioned, I found someone that's, I know through through a client relationship, but we have same prospect, but we're not direct competitors. And so growing your revenue is about getting more customers and making each customer worth more. So when he's already followed up with them and they're typically not going to buy anymore, or he's already sold them everything that he has, it just, it's a no brainer for him to just then do an introduction and see, and then get a fee for that. And that's another way that he now is, we're both creating an ecosystem. So I love that. 
focusing on sales and partnerships essentially. And so again, the sales is outbound calls. It doesn't have to be outbound calls. There's something called the dream 100. You can make a list of your dream 100 clients and hit them up on social, all that stuff. But I love it because all this online stuff, it's just modeling the offline world. You have a online e-commerce store instead of a cart on the side of the road or at a festival. But it doesn't mean you can't also show up at the festival with a cart, right? Yeah. You just you can even just bring a sample like a for, for a showroom floor of all your products and let people order through your tablet and deliver it to them. It's still your e-commerce store, but you're meeting people where they are. And so that's a great list. On your table as well, like at the market, at the festival, you can have a little, and this is what I would do, a business card that has a QR code that takes them to your social media, takes them to your website. So then you're generating traffic and starting to grow that, mm. but you're not putting out what we see, like it's such a content driven world at the moment there is so much content marketing that the market is so saturated again we hear that a lot so there's just so many ways to make money there's so many opportunities that I think it's almost going against the grain nowadays to start with your community and start with your network and start with in person first and then you can always drive traffic online later but vanity metrics don't matter if there's no money in your bank account and right. the other thing- Oh, can you say that again? Just say that one more time, please. I think that's so powerful. Vanity metrics don't matter if there's no money in your bank account. Right? So a vanity yeah. metric is like email opens, even email yeah. clicks, right? Visits to your webpage, likes yeah. on posts, comments. <laughs> are they buying? If they aren't buying, I don't care. <laughs> like- the only person you're going to care is your grandma. Look, grandma, 300 people like this. But even year. then, you can say that. And grandma, I bought you a new car because yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, grandma loved that a lot better. A lot better yeah. than a Facebook post. I love that. I love that. I love the, that. The one thing I just, before I forget, that I wanted to say as well is now it's like it keeps humming and going in my brain. Is this related oh, to? If, yeah. So if you aren't, if you aren't making money in your business, this is more for those people. Get you've made money in the past. There's a way that you have made money. There's something that you have, something really powerful and unique about you that helps you to make money because you've gotten this far. Use that to your advantage and say, and use that to bridge the gap between where you are now and where you want to be. So for me, for example, I've always done really well in job interviews. I can chat for days. So I was like, wow, why am I using social media in order to try and get more clients, I just need to talk to people. I just need to expand my network. And so being really, but knowing yourself and knowing what's good about you and what has always made you money can help you make more money. And again, it sounds really simple, but it's because it is. I didn't say it was easy, but it is simple. Yeah, essentially you have to meet someone. I like the closer framework when it comes to sales. Confirm why you're there, labeled C-L-O-S-E-R. Confirm why you're there, label them with a problem, open up the pain, three layers deep, sell the vacation. You're going to be on the beach, not sitting in the line at the airport and eating airport food. Sell the vacation. E, explain away their concerns. Don't deny them, but acknowledge them and either explain why it's not an issue or just be frank and go, you're right. That is a problem. How do we handle this? And then R is retain, resell, retain and resell. But I like that that there's a couple of different formats when it comes to sales. It's really the end of the day. All the company is a group of people that help another group of people solve a problem and they do it via a product or service. So I think that's fantastic. Olivia, this has been a real jam-packed call. I've got a couple of pages of notes here. People may want to listen to this more than once. 
I do want to be respectful of your time. I know we're coming up. And before we go into anything else, I just want to ask, is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, I think you've covered it all. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to chat. And I hope that this episode speaks to someone or gives someone maybe the breakthrough mm-hmm. they were waiting for or the sign they were looking for. Yeah, I hope so too. If people want to reach, learn more, if they want to reach out and get in touch, what is what are some of the best ways for them to do that? Yeah, I have, I do have a website now. So you you can go in there and submit a contact form or book a one-on-one strategy session with me. It's complimentary. It's just to really chat about your business and where you're at and if I can be of any help. So that's integratoragency.com.au because I'm Australian based. The other place I am on is Instagram. So I do like Instagram. I don't post a lot, but I love it for a chat. You can find me at Integrator Agency. And then in there's also a link to my personal Instagram as well. I can give that to you. You can put it in the show notes. Otherwise it's pretty, pretty straightforward. I think that's about it. Yeah. So go check out integratoragency.com.au. I-N-T-E-G-R-A-T-O-R. A-G-E-N-C-Y dot com dot A-U for Australia. Olivia, you've been such a wonderful guest. I'm just glad that we've got to know each other over me being on your show and now you being on mine. And I just appreciate you coming and sharing my following, knowing that you've got your own clients, your own following, your own podcasts, your own people to take care of. Thank you for coming and helping me and mine all do a little bit better. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, everyone.